KCAA, 10.50 a.m., 102.3 FM and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California. It's a little cold, but it's still sunny. And in parallel with the Turf Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, welcome to the Water Zone. All right. Well, welcome to uh, the Water Zone. Um, I have a very special guest today, uh, and that is Rick Mallory from the J.G. Boswell Company. Welcome to the show, Rick. Thank you. You know, Rick and I go way back, uh, the early days, uh, lots of irrigation happening at the J.G. Boswell Company, and we've recently reconnected, and we're actually here at the Irrigation uh, Irrigation Association show in Las Vegas on the show floor, where Rob Starr uh, has created a radio booth within the Toro booth. Oh, we all did. This is a joint effort. Yeah, <laughs> this is so much fun to be broadcasting live from... Uh, the Irrigation Association show in Las Vegas. So, Rick, you... Um, I'll just remind Rick that whatever happens here stays here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rick, you don't need to worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rick, you, you work for uh, a company that is arguably one of the largest uh, irrigated farms in the country, if not the world. Um, tell us about yourself, how, how you end up being the irrigation manager at the J.G. Boswell Company, and then we'll dive into a little more information about um, what you grow and what the farm does. All right. Well, I, uh, I grew up in Atascadero, where there's not a lot of irrigation, but there is some. And I, I've heard, had people tell me before that, you know, they used to they used to go out and they'd start siphon pipes with their dad, and, and that's what got them into irrigation. I actually moved to inch sprinkler pipe in sorghum when I was about eight, nine years old, and that didn't get me into it because I hated it. That was a miserable job. But I did start getting involved in irrigation a little bit um, when I was going to Cal Poly. Uh, I managed a little cattle ranch and I, I set up a few irrigation systems. So I kind of developed an interest. And in the 80s, I took over the water department as water department manager for um, Boston Ranch, which was a satellite ranch for J.G. Boswell. And uh, so we immediately went into a drought which I thought at the time was the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. That's just my luck. And as it turned out, it was a godsend because I learned an awful lot going through a drought about reactivating wells, drilling wells, irrigation systems, efficiencies, uniformities, all that kind of good stuff. So um, from that, I ran the water department for up until 99 and then became the irrigation specialist in Corcoran on about 100,000 acres. And we have progress we're probably not where we want to be but we we have an awful lot of ground on very efficient irrigation systems a hundred thousand acres that is not lost on me and i'm sure it's not lost on uh, a lot of people uh we know that the west was really built around uh townships you know a town a section of land is 640 acres and a township is like 36 township or 36 sections so you do the math that's you know I think you irrigate about three townships. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I, think, a, I think you're about right, yeah. That, that's a lot more than the 100 linear feet of uh, two-foot beds that I have in my backyard with lettuce. <laughs> so um, anyway, that's an awful lot of ground to irrigate. Now, did Cal Poly help prepare you for this uh, illustrious position in life? Early on, back when I was going to Cal Poly, um, no, because I don't think there was even any irrigation classes. Oh, I was wow. I was ag business. So Dr. Burt wasn't there yet? No, uh-huh. nobody was there. Okay. So, but but since then, the uh, very intelligent people at Cal Poly and ITRC have been a big help to us. Everything I think I know came from them. Right. right. Yeah. 
So, um, 100,000 acres, tell us a little bit more about the J.G. Boswell Company and the Boston Ranch and how all that, how is it structured and what do you grow? Well, in Boston Ranch, which is where I got my start, um, we started growing vegetables. And, and that's not in Massachusetts, right? No. No. That, okay. It was originally owned by the Church of Boston, oh, which is why they called it Boston Ranch. I didn't know that. Okay. And it was one of those things that J.G. bought 45,000 acres from the Church of Boston oh. and then turned around and sold some of the non-contiguous ground for enough to pay for the ranch, so he got the ranch for free. J.G. was a very smart man. Yeah. But... Um, we grew, we started growing vegetables back in the, the late 80s. We grew garlic, dehigh onions, fresh market onions, um, fresh market tomatoes, processing tomatoes. We got pretty good at it. Um, we actually had our first drip trial in 1991 on processing tomatoes and um, cotton. And they were not immensely successful, but they were successful enough to get the ball rolling to where we got where we are today. Um, Boston Ranch is no longer owned by Boswell. It was within Westlands and probably a smart decision to get rid of it. But we have the Corcoran Ranch grows about 60,000 acres of Pima cotton, uh, about 18,000 acres of processed tomatoes, another 3,000 acres of pistachios, and then rotational crops. Um, our Kern County Ranch, which I think is about 45,000 acres farmable, has 15,000, well, 12,000 acres of pistachios, a couple thousand acres of cotton and processing tomatoes and some fallow ground. So you, you kind of refer them to different ranches, so they're not 100,000 acres all in one. The Corcoran Ranch is 100,000 acres that, by itself. Okay, yes. so then there's these other ranches. So right. in, in total, how many acres does the J.G. Boswell Company farm? You know, I, I when people ask me that, I tell them it's two hundred fifty thousand, and I think it's somewhere in that neighborhood. Wow. Yeah. That's that's even more townships. <laughs> in, in the crops, in the crops I grow, because I'm not I'm not from the farming industry, but it's really interesting to me. So, how do they determine what they should grow, and then when the when the the season is over for the crop they're growing? How do they know what to put to the next? I mean, do they do it because it's, the stuff is easy to grow for those particular seasons, or is it more profitable to pick certain crops to do? I mean, why? I, again, I, if I, somebody said, here, you can start a farm, I wouldn't know what to start with. What is it going to make me money? Is it not going to make me money? Do, you know, is cotton more, more uh, valuable than pistachios? How does that work? Well, it's, it's actually very complicated. <laughs> That's what, what I assume. The problem is that we're a vertically integrated company. We do basically seed to fiber, you know, on, on cotton. I mean, we do everything, but we, do, we don't own a textile mill, but we do everything else. Um, processing tomatoes, we own two processing plants. So when you own all those facilities, you have to feed them. Yeah. And that can be a detriment because right now commodity prices are, are in the tank and they have been for several years, but we still have two processing plants for tomatoes that we have to feed and we still have five gins that we have to feed. So it's almost like regardless of what the commodity price is, you still have to grow some. If, if prices are good, we have a full water supply, then our acreage on Pima Cotton goes up to 60, 65,000 acres. If the price is down, we don't have a full water supply, then that acreage will go down. But there's always gonna be some of both of those crops just because we have the facilities that we have to feed. We, we have, to keep, have to operate them. So, so, in so in 1991, when you started experimenting with drip, was the whole 250,000 acres flood irrigated at that point? No. Or, or siphon pipe irrigated? Actually, both of the satellite ranches, excluding Oscott, 
um, both the Kern County Ranch and Boston Ranch, Kern County Ranches and Boston Ranch, were furrow irrigated. That's where I got my start was furrow irrigation. Corcoran has always been, we don't call it flood, we call it border strip. Okay. So, and it, it was always border strip irrigated. Um, but no, the other two ranches were furrow. Okay, so but it's, it's, but they were all gravity irrigated. Yes. Okay, so what made you folks in 1991 want to go to say drip or sprinkler irrigation? What what were the drivers? Well, we had just gone into a drought. Um, Westlands had never been under 100% allocation until 1990. Okay. And in 1990, we went from 100% allocation down to 50%. And I think the next year was 25. The next year was 40. So we were in a world of hurt. We didn't have enough water to to irrigate 25,000 acres so we did it you know just trying to save water you did it for water right uh-huh. and that was the the driving force for a long time until we realized that we can do so much more with a, an efficient uniform system uh, we actually went from I think our average was about 35 ton on processing tomatoes at Boston Ranch and we went from 35 ton and now we're averaging 60 to 65 and the only difference is subsurface drip. So you actually came at it from a water conservation angle but you ended up loving it because of a production advantage? Yeah Yeah. and quality too. Quality quality. quality increased dramatically so it was a tough sell because the processors, this is before we owned a processing facility, processors wouldn't take them because Mm -hmm. the perception is that you were bringing water balloons. And I think that, you know, Harris Farms actually got started before we did. And that's kind of what happened, is they their solids were very low. Um, they were basically just evaporating everything off as water. There was nothing to it. So so, so for our listening audience, they probably may not know what uh, water balloons are in the tomato processing tomato industry. So, so you were creating tomatoes that had too much water and not enough, what you say, sugars or bricks. Right. Yeah. But since then, have you probably learn how to manipulate the crop better we have yeah it's top secret though oh that's the secret <laughs> sauce so you can't tell us exactly what you do secret recipe okay so um that's tomatoes tell us about cotton that's what you have the most acreage of right yeah we we um we started growing pima cotton at boston ranch in 91 and then in corcoran in 99 98 and it's it's a long season crop um, it actually lends itself very well to subsurface drip. We, at one point, were a pretty, we weren't a high percentage, but we were several thousand acres of Pima cotton on subsurface drip. And we have issues with compaction and salt, and we've never been able to overcome those as a rotation from tomatoes. And so right now we're just a very small percentage of it is, in, is on drip. Uh, of your Pima cotton? Yes. And you don't have any other types of cotton now, Kayla, or anything? Okay. No, okay. our Australia ranches, that's all they grow is upland. But we, all we grow is Pima. All right. Now, I, I will note to the listening audience, he's wearing a pair of Wranglers. So uh, hopefully that's the Pima cotton that you grew on your own ranch. You <laughs> I never, hope so. You never know. Yeah, they fit well. Uh, yeah, it could, it could be. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We always like to, you know, wear what we grow uh, yeah. or, or eat what we grow at least. I remember being on the west side with you folks and the the growers would just dump out the uh, ketchup bottles because they wanted to increase the demand for the processing tomatoes, you know, (laughs) dump it out on the plate. Oh, I remember, uh, I'm not going to mention his name, but there was an (laughs) onion grower from Clearwater Supply in Washington that used to come down and we would have 
lunch with him and he absolutely hated onion but he was a big onion grower so he would order extra onions <laughs> and then scrape them off that's terrible that is pretty common a lot yeah. of people do that yeah um, that promotes food waste which we are not for over here no. but that but it is a, a reality so again for our listening audience they may not know what the westlands water district is tell us a little bit about that is that your primary supply of water for your two hundred fifty thousand acres no the that was when we owned boston ranch it was all within westlands but our water supply now is kings river and state water state water yeah. mm-hmm. so that comes through the aqueduct the state water does yes down from the delta or down from the sierra nevada mountains right. yeah and then part of it from the Kings River, so that would be from the east side, from the Sierra Nevada Mountains as well. Right. Yeah, well, actually, the Kings River ends in on our property. On, ends. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you have any of your own wells? We have a lot of wells. I think the last count, it was like 150 or so. And they're, because the Corcoran clay layer is so deep there that every one of them is a million-dollar well. So they're very expensive. Um, water quality is pretty good. So... Now, with your own wells, I had read a while back that the state, at least in California, has, if they see water anywhere, they say it belongs to the state. You know, whose water is it I anyway? i that, yeah. Is, is, is the wells something that they can charge you for, or that's your, you can use as much as you want out of that? No, or? at this point, we can use whatever we want, but that's going to end at some point. When Sigma kicks in fully, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. We're in better shape than most, because we do have a, a really good allocation from the Kings River. We get water from Kawea, Success, Kern River, um, and in fact, we flood on average every 15 years, So, which is not necessarily a good thing, but it, it does lead to a full water supply. Um, but no, I, I'm not sure what's, I, I think we're all kind of guessing what's going to happen with Sigma, and I don't think it's going to be good for a lot of people, but I think we're in better shape than most. That's good. So for our listening audience, what is Sigma, the State Groundwater Management Act? Um, that's fairly new, right? Just the last couple of years, the state of California enacted a law that uh, regulates the groundwater. Yeah, I think we have to have our plan in by January something of yeah. next year. So. And basically the goal is to prove that you're not depleting the groundwater. Right. Yeah. So what sort of a challenge is that for you when you're irrigating that many acres and so many different crops? Uh, how, how are you going to comply with that? I don't know. <laughs> I really that's don't. That's the million-dollar question, huh? Well, fortunately, that's not really part of my department. Okay. That's, that's the water department, and the COO get to worry about that kind of okay. stuff. But, uh, no, we're still in, I mean, I think at some point we all know that we're not going to be able to pump groundwater like we're used to, okay. whether that's whether they're cutting us by 75%, 50%, or 85%. There's a lot of numbers out there. Um, I don't think it's going to be good, but once again, we're, we've positioned ourselves yeah, pretty well. Yeah. So, do you think do you think the state really needs to invest more heavily in to uh, collection of water, to recycle water, and use use it to pump back into the ground? Versus, you know, ninety percent in Southern California, the water when it rains goes to goes to the ocean. Right. And it's kind of kind of sad. And even you take a look at the pipes that we have, I'm sure all over in California, they're almost 100 years or more than 100 years old. I mean, I don't, I don't see a really move. I hear talk for the last, for me, 14 years in this business, and I don't see a whole lot of change in, in that. And, and, and all I want to do is keep charging people more money. And there was one senator uh, two years back, I think it was one of the shows we were talking to, he, where he wanted, to, he wanted to get rid of all the agriculture in California because they're using all the water. It's ridiculous. <laughs> But uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I got to believe they got to start looking and start 
yes, we have to use water more efficiently, and I think the industry, whether it's agriculture, and I know they're doing a great job, and, and same with residential commercial. But after a certain point, you can't get further unless you make other changes, and the government's got to stop putting all these regulations, and it's going to hurt everybody. I mean, they put out, I don't know, how many employees does your organization have? We're about 2,000. Yeah, so I would hate to see somebody, you know, lose lots of people and have to lay them off because of yeah. silly water things, but... <laughs> Well, I, just, I think upstream storage, you know, we all hope, but we know that it's probably not going to happen. I mean, I, I'd like to think that it would, but the one thing that I know, and I, I just know this from driving around and talking to people, that their groundwater recharge now has become serious. That's part of everybody's plan. Right. And there's some really neat projects that have nothing to do with Boswell, but um, I, I saw one the other day, and I, I know the manager at the water district, and I, I don't know how many acres it was, but it was a huge piece of ground that they bought and it had producing almonds on it, I believe. And so they paid premium price for it. They knocked all the trees, they pushed the trees out and they sold the dirt to high-speed rail. And so they excavated this thing out. So now they've got a huge groundwater recharge basin for free. So, I mean, that kind of stuff, I don't know how we're gonna do it because it's hard to recharge groundwater when you're pumping from below the Corcoran clay layer but I'm sure somebody in Boswell is a whole lot smarter than I am and they'll figure that part out. But yeah, groundwater recharge, regional or local storage is something that nobody ever talks about, but I think that would make a big difference. Um, I don't know, but I think when it comes to the politics in California and where all the power is in Bay Area, Southern California, that I, I just, I would hope that we could put in some upstream storage, but I, I don't think so. So what about technology? Are you, um I know you were a judge yesterday for the new product contest here in the Irrigation Association. Thanks you for that volunteer work. Do you see anything on this show floor that's going to help you with the challenges that we're talking about? Well, I don't know that, that there's anything here that specifically helps with the challenge of depleting groundwater, but there's a lot of really good products here. Well, to help you manage on-farm irrigation water, I yes. guess I should say. No, they're helping you grow your crop better and use resources more efficiently. Right. Yeah. No, that was one thing I kind of, I, I didn't know, but when, when we first got here yesterday, we walked through the new product contest, which I always do, and you kind of look and you say, well, I don't, I don't know about that one, I don't know about this one. But when you have the manufacturer standing in front of you, explaining all the benefits to it, all of a sudden the complexion changes. All of a sudden, every one of those products up there was a really neat, innovative product. And I was surprised, which made the decision that much more difficult because they're all very good products. Um, there's some, there's a couple of products there that, that if they do what they say they do, could revolutionize irrigation. So, but we'll see. So for instance, anything you can mention? Well, there is a product called Indra that I've known about for a couple of years. I have not had an opportunity. I've told them I'll go anywhere in the world to look at it and I haven't had that opportunity yet. But. When you have a product that they claim with at something less than one pound pressure and zero filtration, and you can irrigate with it, um, that makes a big difference. I mean, all of our, pretty much all of our systems, our tomato blocks are on diesel boosters, and we spend millions of dollars every year on fuel. And even where we've got electrics, we spend, we spend a fortune on electricity. And, and when I did design a system, I go overboard on pipe sizes, uh, overboard on uniformity. 
and no, but no matter what you do, it still costs you money. If yeah. you can do it on one pound or less with no filtration, and I, we'll wait and see. I mean, if that turns out to be true, that that is a... Um, That's a game changer. It really to is. To be able to irrigate with no, essentially no, no pressure, energy. No pressure, fil no yeah. filtration, yeah. yeah. Anything else? What about what about all the uh, the high tech stuff? Uh, you know, the telemetry and um, wireless valves and irrigation scheduling software and the drones, uh, crop mapping. Any of that turn you on? Well, here's my disclaimer. <laughs> We're such a big company that we are a company of specialists, and we don't overlap into other people's um, rooms. And I don't get involved in automation. I don't. I do peripherally. Okay. I don't get involved in soil moisture monitoring. I don't get in. That's a whole different department. Okay. So, and I did not get involved in judging those. Um, what I did see of them, um, there's some neat stuff. But like I said, that's that's not my forte. So I, I try to I try to spend my time on what matters to me. And what matters most to you on the farm? Well. Um, Kind of, I mean, the one thing we're always looking for, we're looking for better products or we're looking for less expensive products. Mm -hmm. Or there was a, of course, I'm not going to be able to remember what the name of it was, but there was a product that was made by Cornell and it was just a little monitoring device. It was about three inch by three inch, something like that. And it had a vibration sensor in it, very inexpensive. And it just basically bolts or glues onto the pump and, um, and it would send an alert, a cell alert, if there if the vibration went above a baseline. Hmm. We lose 10% of our impellers on our diesel booster, oh. and we own 160 of them, or we operate 160 of them. So we lose 10% to cavitation every year for a variety of reasons. So something like that, if nothing else, I mean, even if it doesn't affect your ability to irrigate that block, if nothing else, it's going to save us $100,000 a year. Absolutely. Yeah. So just. A simple way to measure flow, or well, it's measuring vibration. That's but, vibration, but but, you, but right. if you had a simple way to measure flow out but, on your blocks, yeah. uh, that would be something of interest. Well, we have we have mag meters on everything, and we, and we are getting more into remote monitoring. But something like this, I think that you could actually add sensors to it. It was multiple inputs, so something that's inexpensive, doesn't take up a lot of room, looked pretty robust. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to order some as soon as we're done here. Very good. So, All right. Yeah. So that's one technology you found out here at yeah. the show. Yeah. And we do have pivots. And so some of, there was another product there that was uh, kind of hard to explain. I'm looking at it now, but um, that's a game changer on pivots too. That's the first pivot wheel slash tire that I've ever seen that looked like it would actually not continue to create ruts because that's everybody's problem. Yeah. Everybody back in the Midwest, everybody in Washington. Everybody has that problem. And this particular um, wheel looked like it would just pretty much eliminate it. So, yeah, that's something that I think as we start having replacing tires, you just put those things on, and at some point, 10 years down the road, you've got them all switched out. Wow, so, that's great. Yeah. So, all you, you must have a, a plethora of, of equipment on the farms to harvest all these things and to plant the things. And, that's got to be a hole with so many acres. You got to have so much new technology in the, in oh, the yeah. machinery that that goes. And I, I happen to watch a farm channel on, on on cable TV. Again, I'm not a farm guy, 
Uh, I'm just intrigued by it all. I, I like to see this new vertical farming that they're doing and all this other stuff. And it just amazes me where they use, it's in a warehouse and they grow it vertically and, yeah, they, and they use that. hardly any water and things like that. But, but I saw this thing where they were auctioning off all this equipment, which I know nothing about. And I couldn't believe the one the price of it because it wasn't it wasn't like buying a twenty thousand dollar car. It's like spending a hundred and something thousand dollars or more, and and all these little gadgets that go on it and what they got. It's it just it's amazing. And I don't think the rest of the world or people who are not in that industry have no idea what goes into doing all of this stuff. Well, and and our number one priority now is to reduce labor, only because minimum wage keeps going up. Right. Every I, I, I'm not going to say that, but. Um, so, our cotton pickers now are eight hundred thousand dollars a piece. Wow. wow! Those are the bale pickers, the ones that actually create the round bales that spit them out on the end. But the thing is, they eliminate eighty percent, ninety percent of your labor. So nobody wants to spend eight hundred thousand dollars on a cotton picker. <laughs> but you've eliminated so many people. Um, and the minimum wage, the talk is that when we get to fifteen dollars, it's not stopping there. It's going to continue until we get to twenty-five or so. So. It costs us, with the employees that we have, it costs us millions every time you go up a dollar in minimum wage. And that's actually my focus, too. We started um, looking around at different technologies that we thought might be able to reduce labor. And we tried water reels, we've tried uh, all kinds of different technologies, and we've actually settled on one called a boom reel, which nobody in California other than me and a few other people know about. But I, I actually bought a couple, and they're going to be here next month. So. We are labor, the labor component, you know, you're talking about eliminating 13 people just on one operation. And I feel bad for the people that we're eliminating their jobs, but at the same time, we can't, we can't stay in business unless we do that. So, yeah. I wish more of the, even the, the whole water industry and the farming, I guess, you know, you look at high schools today. I remember, I, I, I went to a private school, so I didn't have some of the things that, the, you know, I didn't have auto mechanic shop and things of that sort, and woodworking, we didn't, we didn't have it that. But for my kids that went to regular public schools, they eliminated a lot of the, the, the skill kind of classes, because yeah. not, every, not everybody's cut out to go to college. But even today, I mean, I, I look with the IA, we were, I wrote a, helped write a grant for a, a Bureau of Indian Affairs high school, where we were going to help them start in their sophomore year that a small class could go sophomore, uh, um, junior, to, and senior, and when they graduate, they would have completed all the stuff to be a certified irrigation landscape auditor. Okay. And, and, and they would wow. get a great job when they did. And the yeah. industry really needs more people to learn about all of this stuff. And, and you don't get it in the lower levels. Right. And I don't know why they don't prepare some of that in the high school and get a jump start on that. And get, get, get this. Kids can get interested, even, even doing backflow repairs and, 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 and stuff. You can make a, you can make great great money doing that for somebody. Yeah. Uh, vocational well, yeah. vocational education. I mean you probably need some one or two year degree people to go run your irrigation systems. Well what's yeah, I mean what we're a company that promotes from within. Okay. Not exclusively, but we try to do that every time we can. Um, what's happened though as as we eliminate ground labor with technology, we need more people that are highly skilled, like right. everybody else. Yeah. Right. That you need that, so, that, that degree, maybe not a four-year college degree like Rob was talking about, but like a, a vocational, yeah, an AA yeah. or a vocational ed, so one yeah. or two-year technical degree. 
And that's kind of what we're looking for. Okay, we're trying good. to figure out, you know, whether I went to an open house at the Farm of the Future at West Hills here a couple of weeks ago, and they have some really neat stuff. Oh, good. Um, I, I have not been to COS in a while, but I know that they, they're they kind of what we're looking for. Yeah. You know, right. you, you really can't afford to go out and, and hire a bunch of people with master's degrees to fly a drone. Right. So, but you're right. I mean, for, and I'm not thinking, I don't think that they were misguided when they pushed everybody towards college. I think that that's good because they're, mm-hmm. a college degree makes a big difference. Sure. So you got the haves and the haves nots. But well, it depends on the courses you take. I mean, well, the, you take true. a look at some of these courses they <laughs> have in college. Liberal arts. Yeah. African-American uh, or, studies. Or stuff that does have nothing to do with whether they're going to get a real job with, you know. Right. But they have gone back. Now, in, in our area, they they hired a um, ag teacher that is a really good welder, farmer, that kind of guy. And he's just really enthusiastic. Oh, okay, sorry about that. They were, we were, we were getting pictured. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. your ag welder was enthusiastic. Yeah. And so he likes his new job and yeah. has a has a, you know, a career. You know, on a large farm. Yeah. And and that. they've and they've started doing welding classes in high school again. Um, there, I don't know that they've got auto shop, but there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And this, they've got a really nice school farm, and they bought their own cotton picker. They planted their own cotton. They they planted their own alfalfa. They've got kids involved in in uh, operating the swather and stuff like that when they cut it which doesn't mean that any of these people are going to do that for a living right but it but it maybe it sparks some interest in them that they want to be involved in agriculture yeah we want to attract people to agriculture it's uh, you know we're getting drained i mean the average age of a farmer is i think 67 or something Something these days we need people to to come into the industry do you think a lot of the let me ask for both of your experience do you think the farms that have been in business for a long time from family to family and sort of big corporation do you think they're going to continue that way or you think more of the, the bigger companies are going to come in and take over because I, I from from what I again I'm, I'm not an expert in any of the stuff that you guys are but but I always read that farmers are going broke and they can't afford to pay for all the stuff in a small farm can they buy an $800,000 I mean they probably got to mortgage no. everything they own to buy that so where, where do you see the, the average farmer in the United States going, aside from the, the big guys? Because big guys got to worry about, like you said, what's going to happen with Sigma and the water. I mean, every, everybody's got to, got to get influenced here. Well, how do you see that? Well, it's already happening. It's been happening for a long time. We get bigger, and our neighbors go out of business, and we get bigger. I mean, the sort of the problem is that we have an environmental affairs department that does nothing but environmental affairs. Most family farms can't afford that. Most family farms can't can't afford to have a guy like me on staff. Um, and I think that with all the regulations in California specifically, that it's going to be really, really difficult for a small grower to survive. I think it already is. So it is sad, but and I think that's happening throughout the United States too. Mm-hmm. I think the small grower will thrive where they have a specific niche. And some, yeah. you know, like the go greens, right. or you know, the vertical farms, or certain organic um, types of. Do you think there'll be more subsidies from the government or anything to help some of these people? Or I think there already is- are. I think the government wants to have, you know, farmers on the ground. Yeah. We certainly don't want to have all of our food come from overseas. It's a strategic no. advantage. We want to grow our own food, whether we want it all in the hands of a few corporations or not. I, that's above my pay grade, but I, I think there are always going to be a lot of smaller farmers that will find a way. I mean, they'll vertically, vertically integrate, they'll grow their own grapes and make their own jelly and private great. label, and there will always be an audience that will right. be willing to buy that. But um, 
And there's just so many new things going on. I mean, the whole uh, uh, meatless meatless meat trend, you know, that's a big one that yeah. just started like five years ago and the whole cannabis thing. So there's always something coming about that will create a niche. Why is the plant, plant-based meat more expensive? I don't know that it is. I don't think it is. Well, you go to Burger King, they charge a dollar more for the... No kidding. Well, uh, just because of the scale at this point. Well, oh. When it scales up, I'm sure it'll be... Uh, uh, Probably about the same. You have to pay for the technology that took to yeah, to, to bring it to good, market. Good like point. like the new drugs, you know, they're always more expensive until they get commodities. Very good point. Well, I also wanted to ask Rick because we talked about labor quite a bit, and you know, what, we're uh, we're uh, here at the water zone. We're also a, a technology provider. Has drip irrigation in particular helped you save labor, or has it been mostly a yield driver? If you compare it to your old way of um, gravity irrigating in the various ways. Well, we're a little bit different because we don't have, other than on our our trees, we don't have permanent systems. And what we've done for 20 years in Corcoran is retrieve and reuse. And retrieve and reuse does not lend itself to labor reduction. So it's actually a lot of labor still. It is. And that's, we've gone, trying to to reduce that, we've gone to what we call single use, which which is actually not. It's two years and recycle. But two years and recycle versus two years, uh, retrieve and reuse two years, retrieve and reuse one year, it just, it is, it saves an awful lot of labor doing that. The, yeah. Our tape costs are higher, sure, but the labor is the big thing. And then you do recycle the tape when you're done with it. We do. Yeah. Yes. That's great. So not so much labor, um, but uh, really yield, yield, yield. I mean, I think you're getting up to 100 tons per acre on tomatoes in some areas now. We have a few fields that, that always do 90 or 100 tons. Yeah. How about your pistachios? Well, we only we shook this year in our in, uh, fourth leaf. So <laughs> it was exciting, but we didn't get much off of them. No. But they look really good. We've really taken those. And, and there again, the, the primary reason, well, the primary reason for growing pistachios is the profit potential. I mean, there's just no way around it. But secondarily, the labor in pistachios is quite a bit less than it is in cotton and and processed tomatoes. It's a tree crop you can drive around in a tractor. Yeah, you do a little pruning and that's about it. um, So you do that with drip line or is it hand-moved sprinklers or solid set sprinklers? It's it's, it's, uh, dual line, 12 half-gallon drippers per tree. Oh, very good. Online. So you're creating a wetted corridor down those trees. You know, people look at pictures of drip irrigated orchards and they think, how in the world is that tree doing so well with just these little two drip lines? But, you know, we're putting the water right where the roots are and where they need it. And we're not germinating weeds and stuff out right. in the middles where you don't need it. So it's actually a very efficient way yes. of irrigating. So next time when you visit us, you'll bring us some samples? Yeah. <laughs> Pistachio. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm addicted to those things. Oh. I, I, I used to say that I wouldn't, I, I won't buy them because they're too expensive. <laughs> but there's a new store in Hanford that sells them for about six bucks a pound. <laughs> so I eat pistachios every night. Yeah. I miss my days on the farm too. You would just drive by and pick a bag of oranges. And yeah. It was all good. Well, now, pista- now you get arrested. <laughs> pistachios fresh off the tree don't taste nearly no, as good. No, no, as no, no. Those, those need to be processed. But we'd go by the Zaloom plant yeah. and you know buy a 12-pack of five, you know, five-pound bags and ship them all to your families. Now they're in Costco. It's easy to get. Yeah. Them, so. Well, Rick, anything else you'd yeah. like to share? No. What about horses? 
Don't you love horses? I own way too many of them. You don't own way too many of them. Aren't <laughs> they, they other, me busy. Other, otherwise known as hay burners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I grow my own hay, so yeah. that helps. Well, as a, as a fellow horse person, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you have some horses. <laughs> I, I think they're good for the heart and I'm soul, I'm glad somebody too. does. Yeah, yeah. I hope my wife doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> She'll want you to buy another horse. Oh, you love horses so much. Let's get a, let's get another couple. Name yeah. it after her. Show me like that. There you there go. You go. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us on The Water Zone, and enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you, on behalf wearing my Irrigation Association hat, thank you for being a judge yesterday and coming to the show. My pleasure. And uh, being a, an ambassador for the irrigation industry. And thanks for being a guest. You were great. I, I could talk to you for hours and learn more, a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm really fascinated by that. All right, enjoy the show, and go find some new technology. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.